Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Good morning to you on a Tuesday after a long weekend. Yeah, it's called 96. Somebody sent me an email yesterday and said, dude, you're not working today? I said, no, man. Come on, Marine Corps birthday, 96. He goes, dude, this better not turn into a 120. <laughs> I said, I haven't even heard of that before. That would be five days off. Yeah, unheard of. But, yeah, I took a meritorious day off. And I know, for all of you that are listening in stereo, I'm, uh, my voice is coming out of uh, your left channel, and the music is coming out of your right channel. Now, I know for some people that's disturbing, but I don't know why that... I don't know why I can't select the way it normally works. And then all of a sudden it'll just show up. I wish I could tell you why that happens. I cannot. So so let me apologize. Yeah. Let me apologize on the front side of this. I don't know why. I wish I did. I would fix it. But at some point... <clears throat> I get another selection in a drop-down menu. <clears throat> wow. In a drop-down menu that says loop back. And I do that. And uh, so I don't know. I wish I I wish I knew. All right. We don't need Eminem right now. Okay, so uh, what are we doing today? Uh, Grant Newsham's going to join us. Yeah, if you're listening in mono, you don't know the difference. So just disregard everything I just said. Um, 
And that might be a solution. Flip from stereo to mono, and you're okay. Um, Grant Newsham going to join us on the backside of the G. Um, Biden summit last night. Uh, we'll get Grant's thoughts on it. So I don't know if you've seen the headlines, but I'm not really sure what they did. They met him. They met. And they talked. Normally in summits, there's an agreement that gets signed or something that gets done, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened. So we'll get Grant's thoughts on that and a number of issues um, about the Pacific region, Germany out there sailing around with their ship or ships. I'm not exactly sure how many ships the German Navy has. Not exactly known as a maritime power, but they do have them. And the German voice would be nice if it would join the rest of the world and uh, and do it for sure. But as you know, I am like, well, I think I just have eyes, right? I have eyes. Therefore, I can see that the Germans don't really do shit in the world except enable the Russians. And now Angela Merkel's leaving, so might the Germans do something else? Well, that'll be interesting for the rest of us to watch. Mm-hmm. But God only knows. The um, I've got a number of emails about an interview that the Commandant of the Marine Corps did last week <clears throat> with National Public Radio. And um, so the question is, if, you, if you've seen the headlines, that um, the Commandant of the Marine Corps General Berger says that the Marine Corps is going to be remade to image America. Let me read you some of the headlines. The Marine Corps is reinvented, re- reinventing itself to reflect America. So I've got a a number of emails like, what does this mean? So what I'd like to do with you, with, and, I, and I won't be able to do it today, um, is answer the question, well, what do we look like? What does the Marine Corps demographically look like? Now, it's really interesting, and, and for the producers at NPR— there was probably a pretty interesting interview you could have had if you had done a little bit of research. Yeah. Here's the, here's the lead paragraph in NPR. The Marine Corps, the smallest of U.S. military forces, has plans for a big overhaul designed to address its lack of diversity and problem with retaining troops. It's lack of diversity. So, uh, 
the article goes on. The goal that's driving what amounts to a cultural shift within the service is for Marines to, quote, reflect America, to reflect the society we come from. General David Berger commented on the Marine Corps said in an interview with NPR's Morning Edition, it's not a matter of being politically correct or woke, he said. Okay, so I'm not sure if I agree with that. Okay, and but what we need to do is take a look at what ex- what exactly does the Marine Corps look like demographically? And what do the Commandant of the Marine Corps' recruiters recruit? And then once that group comes in, what does it look like at the end? Okay, so we, in, we recruit XYZ percentages of these. Now, here's an interesting little nitnoid fact. Did you know that being Hispanic is not an ethnicity? Yeah, you probably did not, didn't did you? You probably think that that being Hispanic So let me let me so when we talk about the racial makeup of the Marine Corps, okay? And these are races on the planet statistically. Native American, a race. Asian, a race. Black or African American, a race. Multicultural racial distinction. Pacific Islander, a race, and white is a race. Hispanic is not recognized as a race. That is an ethnic group. Okay. So what do we do with that? Yeah, hello. What do we do with that grouping? How do... So statistically, (laughs) how do we account for Hispanics as part of the Marine Corps? And when you look at race in the Marine Corps, and, and I'll just give you the problem, and I'll kind of massage it tomorrow when I go through these numbers but so when you look at when you look at race in the Marine Corps which means Hispanic doesn't exist well where do those people go so in terms of we'll just talk about um, E1 through E3 okay Hispanics are 22% of the Marine Corps except when you divide the Marine Corps by race there are no Hispanics huh Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, there are no Hispanics. So, the Marine Corps is 83% white when there are no Hispanics. It is 1% Pacific Islanders. It is 0.5% multiracial. It is 11% black or African. It is 2.8% Asian and 1.1% Native American. Now, what are those percentages in our population? We'll talk about that tomorrow. And then, what do those 
what does the Marine Corps grow those numbers to? Okay, so the next question is, given those racial numbers, where does the 22% of the people that call themselves Hispanic go? Would they call themselves white if there is no race? So all of a sudden, I'm Hispanic. I look in the blocks that says, check the appropriate blocks for race. There is no Hispanic. Where do I go? Do I check multiracial? And mind you, 22% of enlisted Marines, E1 through E3, where do they go? Where does that... Do they call themselves black? Do they call themselves white? Do they call themselves multi-race? I don't know. So anyway, so we'll look at the issue of race. And what we'll look at is, what is the commandant talking about? What does he want the Marine Corps to look like? And I would say the better way to judge this is in ethnic groups because I would tell you, the second largest group of human beings in the Marine Corps is called Hispanic. You have to account for them. And so you got to talk about ethnicities. Okay, so, and we'll do that tomorrow. Because again, where does that all go? So late in the month, you're, you've met your quota of white people to put in the Marine Corps. And now we're going to miss mission. We're not going to make mission as a recruiting organization because we don't have enough minorities. We don't have enough ethnic minorities to put in. And the commandant's going to say, don't ship any more white people. How about gender? Hard questions about gender that could have been asked. General Berger. The Marine Corps did a study called the Ground Combat Integration Study. In that study, it says that the female Marines in the study, when compared to their male counterparts physically, were equal to or less than the lowest 5% of the males. Do you agree with that assessment? And how much do you see the female percentage of the Marine Corps growing? Uncomfortable question, right? All based on footnoted facts that are, that are, is a Marine Corps study. What does the comment on the Marine Corps think about that? So to me, to the producers of NPR, you should have done your homework, man. There was a much more riveting interview that you could have done had you read about this issue a little bit. And so to me, in the absence of all of that, this looks kind of woke to me. But we'll talk about it tomorrow. So, Grant Newsham going to join us next. I don't even think I'm going to do any news. Should I do any news? No, I'm not going to. So uh, we'll uh, open the program. We will certainly check the weather because I love doing that for some reason. And uh, so... Here you have it. United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning to you.
that would signal the end of the program. And I was listening to music over the course of the weekend as I was working, and I had the thing on random, which is why you heard Eminem earlier when you weren't supposed to, and why you just heard the end of the program when you're not supposed to. So now that you little glimpse behind the curtain, um, this uh, this program dedicated to the people that are making decisions. I would, I guess, service chiefs about discharging people who, for whatever reason, do not want to get a shot that they do not believe that they need. And I hope they uh, act in. I hope they act fairly across the board. I'm not sure why local commanders are being allowed to adjudicate some of that stuff, which I found a little bit disturbing that your benefits could be taken away. And again, whether you agree or disagree or not, the nation is unsettled about all this shot stuff. You've seen what pilots are doing around the country as thousands of flights. It'll be interesting to see what happens during Thanksgiving. Will they, you know, I mean, you're seeing Southwest, American, all these different airlines, you know, canceling hundreds of flights, some days thousands of them. Um, yeah, that's no joke. You're seeing, you know, all kinds of different industries impacted. The police unions, firefighters, public workers, you know, when somewhere between 30 and 50% say, yeah, we're not good with that. So, I hope in the military that the right people get in charge and that if people don't agree with this, that they can their discharge can be handled with respect. They've served honorably. And so, I don't know, some of the stories you read are a little bit disturbing. So this is dedicated to service chiefs. Do the right thing. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much 
If this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> Always funny. Always funny. <clears throat> and this makes it funnier. But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. See, young folks, you ignore what I just said. Brilliant. You just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't We don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult, challenging conditions and odds and win. You got to win. All right, time for us to check the weather. So we'll do that. Currently in Quantico, mostly sunny and 50. Down the coast at Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, sunny and 60. 29 Palms reports sunny and 65, cooled off here on the West Coast. Yeah, it was like 90s. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 80s. Monday's mid-70s. Today is supposed to be in the high 60s. As we kind of get back to normal. Um, Camp Pendleton, foggy and 56. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 71. Okinawa, dark cloudy 66. In Manila, where they're going to have an election, dark cloudy 81. And in Darwin, cooled off. Dark cloudy and 74. That would be 74 if you're listening in SAP. At the home of All Marine Radio, it is 59 degrees. And it says haze. We don't have haze. It's overcast. Hello. Looking for a high of 67 today. 67 tomorrow. 65 on Thursday. Ooh. 66 on Friday, 67 on Saturday. So pretty seasonal weather here on the West Coast. Um, should I go through the top five stories in early bird? Um, I think I shall. And then I'll turn it over to Grant Newsham here on this Monday. Um, let me tee this up. Number one, Russia test anti-satellite weapon. Astronauts take cover. <laughs> this, honestly, you can't make it up. You know, you've seen the footage of Russian destroyers like crashing into American destroyers on the East Coast, right? Uh, on the East Coast, in the Black Sea. Right? So here's the story. Russia destroyed one of its own satellites in an anti-satellite weapons test on November 15th, according to the U.S. State Department, creating orbital, orbital, I'm sorry, orbital debris that led astronauts on the International Space Station to take cover on several occasions. Quote, earlier today, the Russian Federation recklessly conducted a destructive satellite test of a direct ascent anti-satellite missile against one of its own satellites. The test so far generated over 1,500 pieces of trackab trackable 
orbital orbital debris and hundreds of thousands of pieces of smaller orbital orbital why am I having a problem with that word orbital debris that now threaten the interests of all nations a state department spokesperson said during a November 15th press briefing yeah so what these morons do right is create this <laughs> this field of metal up there And what was their point? Hmm. We'll ask Grant about that. Yeah, Dr. Evil doing his shit. Um, next, Senator Chuck Schumer announces a Senate vote to repeal the Iraq war powers. Senate Majority Leader... Chuck Schumer set up a vote this week to advance a major defense funding bill and said it will include a provision to repeal decades-old Iraq war powers. The New York Democrats filed cloture on the National Defense Authorization Act, which sets defense spending levels for the next fiscal year. He established a Wednesday vote that will require 60 votes to start the debate. We'll see if it makes the cut. Next, U.S. troops ID'd family members trapped in Afghanistan, but none qualified for evacuation. Hmm. Well, that's a head-scratcher, isn't it? Oh, so we're talking about cousins and shit like that. But they don't tell you that in the headlines, right? The, the breathless headline, kind of like Wolf Blitzer in the, uh, in the Situation Room. <laughs> yeah. That. That. Uh, Next story. Inside the main Army National Guard, soldiers say a predatory culture goes unchecked. So again, you know, these stories to me are clickbait. And so what you have is a shithead commander who's being presided over by another shithead. And they need to be blown out, right? And then what's going to happen is you're going to see this and this is going to be like, okay, so this is indicative of the culture. And it's not. It's not. The vast majority of people that lead in the American military are good to really good. Yeah, the vast majority of them. But you won't read about that. No. Uh, Next story. Preliminary hearing delayed for sailor charge restarting the USS Bonhomme Richard fire. Hmm. Your United States Navy at work, right? This time pushed back into December, Navy officials confirmed on Monday. Yeah. You got that going for you. Overseas operations? Biden G talks, quote, China warns U.S. about playing with fire on Taiwan. Huh. NATO chief signals support for the Ukraine amid Russian troop buildups. There's a story out today that says that uh, Ukrainian military forces shot down a Russian drone near the border. I wonder how Dr. Evil will take that. All right. So that'll do it. Uh, Grant Newsham, good to join me here. And uh, quite fitting that we should hear from Grant right today. Yes. I agree. 
and um, so get his thoughts on what he uh, what he thinks about uh, the summit. So, without further ado, the one and only Grant Newsham. Joining me, as he should on the day after uh, President Xi and President Biden meet, is uh, Grant Newsham. Grant, uh, good morning. How are you? Well, fine, thank you. It, uh, yeah, I'm. Um, there's brighter days ahead now that uh, President Biden and the uh, Chinese dictator have worked things out. Exactly. So, you know, back in the day when you and I were kids, long before we ever became jaded human beings, um, there were summits, right? The big summit. Oh, yeah. The big summit was what Nixon and Brezhnev was that the big one? And then it was then didn't Nixon go to China? Who went to China? Bush go to China? Nixon go to China? Oh, it was Nixon who went the first time and met with uh, that mass murderer Mao Mao Zedong. Exactly. And that was the a big thing. But yeah, it was always summits. You know, there's gonna summits. it's um you know, like so and so and Andre Gromyko, the Soviet foreign minister, are having a summit. Right. And yeah, you know, that was the thing, was summit meeting. But most of the time the summit, um, there was a big agreement had already been worked out by the underlings. So I guess the first question I have for you relative to this one is in order to agree to do the summit, um what how is how did the chinese look at this and to the best of your ability to look into your crystal ball how did the americans and what was the due out for both countries uh to do this so a very general question for you there yeah well the americans you know they like all americans they tend to think which i suppose i'm one of them uh, though I'm not of that mind, this mind, they tend to think that if they can just talk to people, that they can bring them around. You know, we just let, you know, talk and they'll, you know, they'll come to like us and they will, any problems we have can be worked out. You know, we're great uh, thinking that we can always split the difference or exchange promises or give them a present and they'll give us something in return and, and things will get better. Uh, you know, it's the, in business, it's the the closer, the guy who can you know bring a deal to fruition, and that's how the Americans look at it. And they also see that you know they, there's this naive belief that, well, as long as we're talking, we're not fighting, and that's a good thing. Uh, which all that really means is you're talking right up to the point you get you know whapped on the head. Uh, but it's it's part of American philosophy and thinking is that you know you you talk to everyone and work things out. But the Chinese see it as uh, really a one sort of tactical move in a long-term effort to dominate us and, if necessary, destroy us. Uh, and, you know, they, they're glad to talk uh, with us and see what we might offer, uh, you know, see what we might give up in order to have the Chinese uh, be America's friends. And they, they look and say they very much look at as what they can get out of it not as a, some way to resolve differences and uh, alleviate or eliminate or reduce the, the possibilities of a war. Uh, really, this is to see how they can get us at more of a disadvantage. Uh, but that's, but so you have these two contrasting views of things, and there is no deal to be cut. And the, the Americans haven't quite figured this out yet, but the Chinese sure have. Uh, and the the Chinese just aren't they're not listening well they're they're listening, but not in the sense we think they are uh, so that I think is you know one way to look at this now to me it, it almost doesn't matter what was said 
at that uh, yeah, at yesterday's summit. Uh, they, uh, it just doesn't make any difference uh, to my way of thinking. Three hours of, of and again, let me read you. I'll read your uh, headline in this morning's South China Morning Post. Um, headline, top headline. G. Biden summit. U.S. and China express need for status quo on Taiwan. Uh, another headline, Xi Biden summit important to avoid unintended conflict, officials say. Next headline, Xi Biden show friendly faces while broaching the big issues. Xi Jinping urges Joe Biden to put U.S. policy on China back on track. Um, and then some, uh, some opinion pieces. Summit a chance for Xi and Biden to act global and think local. <laughs> right. Um, so the Americans, why is this important for Joe Biden? So he can look presidential because it certainly doesn't look like there's anything, you know, because again, there used to be, hey, Nixon's going to Moscow to meet Brezhnev and they're going to sign the SALT II agreement, right? Or we're going to go here and we're going to do this. There is no that there. Um, so what was the point of all this? Well, I think you've got it. Uh, you've covered it. It really is to... You've jaded me. Make, well, yeah, you know, engage with China, make the Biden administration look like it's on top of things. Because uh, it's had one string of disa one disaster after another. And it looks ridiculous. And if we think it looks ridiculous, you can imagine what the Chinese think it looks like. It looks juicy to them. Uh, but that it's really a for political purposes, you know, to be seen as doing something. And once again, if you're, you know, talking and the, the two leaders are talking, you know, that will be spun to suggest that this is somehow improved things. Uh, but you just have such fundamentally different objectives on both sides that there is no way to reconcile these. Uh, the, though I, I too, I often, um, I'm regularly visualizing world peace, but it, it doesn't seem to come for some reason. So. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey. Easy. No, I'm joking. I, I'm a bumper sticker kind of guy. But, yeah. And I am uh, thinking, uh, what is it? Think uh, globally? Act locally? Is that the one? That was the one headline, yeah. Whip inflation. Yeah. Whip inflation now. When? I used to have a win button. <laughs> Gerald R. Ford, right? I used to have a win button I did, in my 19... I, I probably still... Yeah. <laughs> 19, I know, I'm, uh, 1953 Ford mainline... <clears throat> That I was driving in high school in 1975 and 1976, right? It was metal throughout except the upholstery on the seats. And my grandfather, John Vivian Forden, was so austere, no radio. There was an ashtray. and um, But there was a plate, metal placeholders in the dashboard. And that's where the whip inflation now magnet went. Just so you know, so these slogans are important, right? Well, you had you had a magnet. Mine yes. had a like a pin. Oh. But the uh, no, and nobody listening will know what you're talking about unless they're like oh, of our age and exactly. we're. Exactly. Uh, it was. Uh, nobody remembers what inflation was, but they're going to find out really quick. And the Ford administration, the one that came in after Nixon left office, they uh, wanted to do something about inflation, so they started a public relations campaign called whip inflation now 
and they had these win buttons, which you'd have to be like a complete loser to have, like, probably to still have one, much less to have worn one. Uh, but they didn't whip inflation. That took Big Ron to come by uh, some years later to get rid of it. The um, so all right. So there's no do, so there's no big there's no big thing here. There's no big do out other than Biden looks presidential, like he's taking on Taiwan. Xi looks like he's going to fleece the Americans yet again um, and get them to to uh, give up something in exchange for an empty promise, essentially nothing. So Xi looks like he's on at least engaging to further China's foreign policy um, ambition that way. So that's good, yes, for the Chinese. Oh, yeah. yeah and it works very well for the Chinese, and they're good at it. Because it's like dealing with a passive-aggressive person. Right. You know, when they're aggressive and scary, you just, man, you don't want to be around them. You just want it to end. So you're willing to do almost anything to have them, God, just stop acting insane. And so when the Chinese back off a little bit and smile and say nice words, the Americans have such relief that they start giving things away. And you're going to see, you're already seeing it, the American business class uh, is just calling for the, the Biden administration to lift lift tariffs, lift sanctions, and just have things back the way they were before that awful orange man ruined things for these quizlings. Uh, and th- that push has started, and I think they're going to get what they want. And it is this reaction you know, to just seeing the Chinese smiling for a minute that it causes us to lower our defenses and to start you know, making concessions and giving things up we shouldn't give. And the, you'll notice the Chinese are not going to stop building ships. They're not going to stop trying to sort of dominate outer space. Uh, they're not going to ease up on the Indians or the Japanese or the Taiwanese. None of that's going to happen. But the Americans are so relieved that they've turned a corner, that there's been a sea change, that they'll make concessions to the Chinese. Even if it's, uh, um, this isn't even on the margins. When you give up the uh, that the, the business, the industrial sanctions, the business sanctions that we had in place, uh, and the tariffs. If you give that up, that is uh, a very serious thing to give away. Uh, so the, the Chinese came out. They'll come out of this, I think, ahead. Uh, although you have to say think about it a little bit to realize just what happened, and also have a little context of sort of how the, the Chinese work and how we work. Um, that would almost be a win for the United States in that we didn't give something away because there was, you know, you saw stuff written about that, that, you know, this would be a good time to roll back those tariffs with the Chinese, yada, yada, yada. So would that be a win that we didn't give away the, you know, the whole front store right off the chute? Uh, if we, yeah, well, if we don't relax, relax the, te- the, the tariffs, give up on the sanctions, that will be a good, it'd be, it'd be a positive sign. It'd be something good that we did. But if we say we relent, this is, you know, we just sort of hit ourselves on the head with a hammer. Uh, and I'm afraid that's where we're headed. The, um, all right, let me, are there any other, um, it's amazing, right? That uh, in less than, you know, 14 minutes, you can cover a uh, a three hour uh, visit by two the two major powers on the planet visit, which says largely nothing came out of it. Biden did what he did, which was he's supposed to bring up human rights, 
he was supposed to bring up uh, what uh, Taiwan, which is pretty interesting. And Xi was supposed to, I don't know what there. Um, oh, some kind of code of conduct in the South China Sea. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, always, you know, we, we can, oh, you know, Biden can, Mr. President Biden can bring up anything he wants, but the Chinese aren't listening to him. Or if they are, they're not taking him seriously and, and the chinese only take you seriously when you're stronger than them so you know, let's let's talk milit- about that you wrote a, you wrote a piece called when and i'll put the link in the art in, in this piece but when america talks china doesn't listen explain that explain your explain the salient point how do you like that yeah my my english teachers would be so proud of me if they heard me say that shit explain the salient point of when america talks china doesn't listen well, the salient point is that uh, the, the, the Chinese, uh, unless they're scared of you or that you can hurt them or you've got something they want, they're not going to listen. You know, they know exactly what they want from you. And if they think the, they have the upper hand, they are not going to concede anything. They will just keep pressuring you. They will uh, and or ignore you. Uh, and there's nothing you can do. And that is how they act. You know, and the... So the Americans, unless unless we're stronger than them, militarily, financially, uh, have something they want or have some way to hurt them, uh, that they're not going to pay any attention and they're not going to give you anything that you want them to give you or to act the way you want them to act. And, you know, go down the list now. Are we stronger than them militarily? I don't know. Not in the farthest reaches of West, the Western Pacific or the South China Sea, and they think they, they're getting the upper hand on us. Uh, financially, I don't. other than the U.S. dollar, which we're doing our best to turn into toilet paper <laughs> uh, by printing and spending so much of it, uh, we don't have much on them financially. Uh, and the, you know, in fact, so we're, we don't have an advantage there. You know, what is it that uh, um, we've got they think they absolutely must have? Uh, foreign investment from us that's good but they're not nearly as vulnerable or weak as they were say even five years ago so that looks pretty good uh, to them as well is there something that they have that we could uh, make work sort of uh, that they own that we could make less valuable and that would be their holding say of u.s dollars uh, that that causes them some concern because we're doing our best to make it less valuable for everybody uh, including us uh, the one thing we could do that would hurt them is that all of these overseas activities, investments, and uh, assets that they own, that's all vulnerable if we were to go after it in a systematic, serious way. But uh, there's no sign we're going to do that. Uh, that worries them a little bit. I think, uh, at least for now, it's just a little bit. So we don't really have any anything on our side that gives them a reason to pay attention to us. So that... And is the, that is a boy like a really long explanation of the salient points uh, that unless you've got the Chinese over a barrel or worried they're not going to listen that applies at the, the national level and in business uh, as well it, it's uh, you know it's not all that hard to figure out there's plenty of empirical evidence to suggest that's uh, how things work all right I want to shift gears and ask you about some current events then um Chinese bombers running night drills 
off of Taiwan. And also, um, China sends long-range bombers to the border with India. So, um, images calibrated to send a warning in order to ease tensions, according to analysts. <laughs> so... So and then you have the uh, you have the targets that have been filmed, right? With uh, American uh, with American aircraft carriers and destroyers. Now with I guess additional imagery, there's also there's also mock-ups of AWACS aircraft uh, out there, and so um, and then the Chinese are executing a. Uh, some kind of military exercise in the East China Sea, uh, I would guess, message sending to, to Japan. Um, can you explain to us what's going on? Um, well, it's, uh, this is the improved Chinese behavior after President <laughs> Biden and Xi have spoken at the summit. There you go. Uh, you know, that's the thing to watch for. Does Chinese behavior change one bit? And I'll you bet you any amount of money it doesn't. And this is uh, really just a continuation of what the Chinese have been doing for a while now, uh, is applying pressure everywhere around their borders. And you know, you've gone, you've just run down the list and this is, is everywhere. And they, I think in India is really a place that deserves more attention because the Chinese have uh, militarized and put in the infrastructure up in, up in the Tibetan plateau, which is sort of up above India. Uh, and, they can, if they wanted, they could move, for example, 42 divisions down to the border in about six weeks. And they know how to do it and they could do it. But they're getting ready for a fight with the Indians uh, up there. And this is partly intimidation. It's partly practice. Uh, but it's partly a sort of a warning of things to come. Uh, and the same thing with Taiwan. And then the East China Sea, once again, you know, that's, uh, that's the place where they really come, I think, most directly face-to-face uh, -face with the Americans, potentially. And you'll see they're not laying back uh, in the East China Sea. And they're going to, one of these days, they're going to try to teach the Japanese a lesson. So what you consider, the thing to keep in mind is that when anyone tells you that China is, uh, they've turned a corner, they don't want a war, they just uh, you know, want to get along with us, uh, that look at what they actually do. And then also ask yourself, who exactly has ever suggested attacking China? Uh, nobody has. And so why are they doing all these things? Why are they building up this military that you know, is the biggest, fastest military build up in history? You know, why is it because they're frightened of somebody? You know, I don't think so. Now, there is nobody who has ever said they're going to attack uh, China. I did hear one insane U.S. Air Force officer, just a major <laughs> or something, say it. But, uh, uh, but other than that, I can't think of anyone who ever has. The... Um... So all this posturing designed to intimidate uh, the people that live around them as China ascends, yes? As, as, and then, again, not that there's a coincidence, but, um, you know, President Xi is president for life now, yes? So Effectively, yes. Effectively, yes. The um, headline from the Wall Street Journal relative to the summit uh, and it shows uh, the honey bear. Is that what his name? Um, 
the Pooh Bear? What do what do they call you? Oh, he he's he. Oh, they they would call him Winnie the Pooh if Winnie. he wouldn't get you locked up in a mental <laughs> hospital taking um, experimental drugs. Uh, that that's what they would call him. It's in fact against the law in China to uh, even show a picture of Winnie the Pooh, oh. much less a, a, attach it to uh, Xi Jinping. And he does look like um, the <laughs> the plump little orange fella. <laughs> the and so you have uh, you have. President G, uh, Chairman G, if you will, uh, smiling and waving, and then you have President Biden doing the same thing, greeting each other as warm smiles and and old friends. Headline from the Wall Street Journal: Biden G cool down hostilities in virtual meetings. Uh, subheadline: Warm smiles, no big promises. So it looks like a media event that we we got our message out there. But it, oddly enough, relative to these things, because normally they only happen with the announcement of something, you know, substantial. And it doesn't look like anything substantial happened um, for, for either side. Well, I think something substantial is if the Chinese are talking to us, that means we're about to be fleeced. So I think they're a step closer to that. And then I think if you're an if you're a uh, if you've been trained in the school of Grant Newsham, at least we didn't give anything away. So for the Americans, this is a resounding success. For the Chinese, <laughs> well, so, 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 give us a week. Yeah. For the Chinese, another step closer to them giving it to us. Um, explain to me this code of conduct that the Chinese want in the South China Sea. <laughs> what is that? This is a good one. It's um, the Chinese and the, the countries, mostly ASEAN countries, that have an interest in the South China Sea like have, or have some ownership uh, claims to it, which is all the countries surrounding the South China Sea. They've been talking to about a code of conduct, which you know, tells how you know, everybody's going to behave, which means you don't take disputed territory that, that other people say belongs to them. You know, everyone cooperates and you know, doesn't take the other guy's stuff, you know, and you don't militarize it, et cetera, et cetera. And really all it is is the, uh, it's basically the requirements of the United Nations, what, Law of the Sea Treaty, uh, which China and everyone else who's negotiating this code of conduct has signed. Uh, but they've been working on this code of conduct uh, to it's really just to get the Chinese to you know, stop taking the place and, you know, sinking Vietnamese ships and fishing boats, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, they've been talking about it now for almost 20 years. <laughs> um, but any day now, they're going to make it's going to kind of reach this code of conduct. And there, you'd have to be like a, a complete moron to think that it's going to make any difference, uh, that if somehow this is going to uh change Chinese behavior. You know, it's not. And it was about maybe 10 years ago at one of these Shangri-La dialogues in Singapore, uh, where all, everyone gets together and pontificates that in the, one of the, the Chinese officials, a uh, very prominent guy, he, he got angry at somebody giving him lip. And he said, well, it's just a fact. We're a big country and you're little countries. And that tells you everything you know, about you know, how China looks at this. And you know, the fact that anyone pays any attention to this uh, 20-year negotiations of a code of conduct and takes it seriously, it really suggests that um, they're getting paid to do so. 
but it, it's really not uh, anything to get too worked up, excited about. Uh, the Chinese have been clear what they're going to do. Is they say the whole place belongs to them, and they're going to they're going to have it, and there's no deal to be cut. And China has been trying to play off uh, the the countries one by one, deal with them bilaterally rather than as with the the claimant states with those the, with the other countries as a block. So that's they strung it out for 20 years. There's no reason it couldn't go another 20. What do you make of the German um, Secretary of the Navy? vowing to uh, commit German naval resources to the Indo-Pacific and sail the South China Sea and make the statement that the South China Sea belongs to everyone. What's that all about? <laughs> like, uh, well, the Germans want to show they're relevant, so they, they sent their ship out to Asia. No, I'm joking. They've got a few ships, but not many more than a few. Uh, but they did send a, sort of a ship destroyer or so, and it made the, the rounds in, in Asia. It even stopped by Darwin, I think, in Australia. Uh, and then to Guam as well, up to Japan. And then it uh, the Chinese would not accept its visit. So the, But the, the Germans were showing that they've got an interest in Asia and in, the, in some way that they're willing to side with the free nations uh, on this. But the German military really is inconsequential. Uh, it's been allowed to shrink to the point of, uh, it practically doesn't exist. Uh, and also German business, you know, say led by VW, you know, they, they're keen to do business in China. Uh, so it's, you've got one part of the German government trying to stand up for freedom. Uh, and then another part, which, uh, well, then other parts of it are um, less, in, uh, less interested. Can't, so, but it, can't it, give it depends it, on how you want to look at it. So. Like, like Wall Street can't give it away quick enough. Uh, kinda. It's if you listen to what, the, particularly the, I think the head of VW, where they and they produce cars out in Xinjiang, where they, uh, the Muslim uh, people are being, you know, in, tortured and put in concentration camps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the head of VW was asked about this. Do you see anything wrong with this? And he said, Well, I haven't heard anything. Um, now that's kind of rich coming from the Germans, on whom the mark of Cain really you know, still ought to ought to be there for another thousand years, uh, given what they did not all that long ago. Uh, that to them, the word concentration camp should be like a cross to a vampire. Uh, what, but it isn't. What, they, uh, not at all. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting dichotomy in terms of we want to get there and then you're taking uh, military positions diametrically opposed to the Chinese to the point where, I mean, Germany saying something like that. When was the last time they don't say that they can't cozy up to Vladimir Putin enough on the continent? And it's just it, it was just odd to see. I don't want to say it was belligerent, but the South China Sea belongs to everybody is relatively blunt talk from a one eyed fat man, which is Germany, that has been heretofore silent. And so it just it seemed just odd to me. Yeah, you know, it's nice, but it, you know, you think about it, you know, it's, um, you know, that, the, you know, Rooster Cogburn, the one-eyed fat man, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> okay, let's see what you actually do now. Uh, that's the, the thing to, to watch for, and I don't, uh, so I don't know that uh, the Chinese are uh, Robert Duvall types just yet, but so they may not get shot up by the Germans anytime soon. Ned uh, but that's you know you know the, an optimist would say you know it is at least they're doing something, and if they follow up on it, then good and to their credit. But if they uh, think that this 
dispatch of their one ship out to Asia is uh, <laughs> is enough. Uh, it's probably not. It really needs to be followed up with with some real actions, and not just militarily, but they've got to do something about their uh, economic sort of uh, addiction to China. Uh, and it's actually worked very b- badly for German workers and German companies because there's been a number of cases where really prominent, uh, not well known to us, but very prominent uh, smallish Jap- uh, German companies have been bought out and moved lock, stock, and barrel to China. And you lose enough of these and you lose your the advantage that Germany has had uh, economically. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, and You kind of have a feeling that... Um, there may not be much to, more to it than we've just seen. Yeah, you know, I, it, it, it's odd, uh, not to belabor the point, but, you know, Germany on the continent is the, has been the largest economy, although their economy is struggling now. Um, they have been the enabler of Russia, you know, Ms. Merkel, with uh, seeking to make sure she stays away from the United States until we threatened to move our bases out and then all of a sudden it's really important the american german relationship is really important and then i think they just said yeah you know the 2% gdp relative to nato we we don't see that as something that applies to us um and so the statement the south china sea belongs to everyone seems to be unusually direct for a country that that spends much of its time not being part of the um the League of Free Nations, in my opinion, and doing the most of any free country to enable Russia and and Doctor Evil's malign activities. So I just I found it odd to say the least. The um I want to talk about Japan. Japan and the United States agree to start talks on additional steel and aluminum tariffs. Um, what's going on between the United States and Japan? Oh my goodness. I, I think I saw noticed a headline about it, but I hadn't read it. I didn't know we made steel anymore. No, I'm joking about that. But the uh, it it's bureaucrats keeping busy. That's all. You know, it's you know there's some you know sort of outstanding trade friction between the Americans and the Japanese. So there's people whose job it is to address these things, and they're going to you know talk about it and and um, see what they can work out but in the grand scheme of things this is, means almost nothing uh you know any problems we have with the japanese are just they don't even register you know compared to what the, the chinese are doing to us and what we've let them do to us uh so that's how i would look at it you know it's, it's on, in somebody's portfolio and they have to be seen as doing something uh so they're going to talk it must be kind of hard to hold these discussions now because the the negotiators all really love to go to each other's countries, but particularly the, the Yankees, the Americans used to, they love to go to Japan. You live in the ANA hotel near the embassy and you fly business class, and rack up mileage plus and get per diem. And you're not really expected to produce. So you can string that thing out, you know, for at least as long as your, you know, your job lasts or your, your tour of duty. Um, but that's, it must be harder these days if they have to operate virtually. Um, so I feel sorry for them. Yeah, and then maybe produce something, which is not really what they're about. <laughs> oh, that's never been on the on the agenda. All right, I want to. I want to. One of the things that I think we've all learned under your instruction is the significance of the Philippines in this um, 
tug of war over the South China Sea. Uh, I'll read you a few headlines this morning relative to the Philippines. Duterte's daughter joins Marcos as running mate in Philippines presidential election. Um, Next headline from the New York Times. That's a Reuters headline. New York Times. Rodrigo Duterte to run for Senate in the Philippines. Um, Next headline. Son of ex-dictator Marcos now has Philippine presidency within reach. Um, There was also um, headlines saying that Rodrigo Duterte would, would be on the vice presidential ticket in the Philippines. Uh, So A, what do you make of those headlines? B, um, look into your crystal ball. How does Mr. Duterte leaving the presidency impact American relationships with the Philippines and then ultimately the Filipino uh, foreign policy stance relative to the South China Sea? Um, I think uh, what you're seeing is a bunch of insiders. These are powerful families in the Philippines sort of jockeying between themselves to see who's going to get what position. And when you have those positions, then it's it's like if you've seen pigs eat, it's like getting a front row. You know, you can get your snout into the trough. Uh, deeper and that's what what you're saying you know the you know the marcos uh, family the duterte family and and there's others uh that they're trying to sort of figure out who gets what um but and duterte it looks like he's going to run for senator and he'll probably win uh, but his daughter has a shot at being the vice president and the vice president is elected separately so you run for vice president and then the president might be marcos's son you know it's funny how things change uh, but if I think, though, that things are probably headed in a better direction uh, if with Duterte gone, just because he's even by Filipino standards, he's a little fly, a little odd. Uh, so I think it, if the Americans play it right, I think that they could at least maintain things and maybe even improve them uh, better. Uh, I don't know that these new go- new people. Uh, are going to be any stronger on the South China Sea issues or on the, the more immediate ones of the Chinese moving in on their own territory. Uh, so, but then again, like most of these people, they've got their price. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But it's, you know, the Philippines don't change much over the years. In fact, it's, it's pretty interesting if you um, follow it for a long time and say, say the 30 years I have, that it, you just see that nothing much has changed. Uh, some of the people have and some of the people haven't. Uh, but so I would be, you know, it, it, at least it, it's not, you don't see an absolute disaster heading our way. And it could even improve a bit, uh, you know, if the, the Chinese keep overplaying their hand. Because uh, that, that is the one thing that really works in our favor. If the Chinese have been smart, uh, they wouldn't have been so rapacious and, and greedy uh, and threatening towards the Filipinos. Uh, that was a huge strategic mistake on their part, and that sort of opened the door uh, back up for us. So I think, you know, if done right, you know, we should have some reasonable prospects uh, with the Philippines. Uh, it's interesting. Um, let me read you a couple things from Yahoo News. Let's see. I want to see if somebody's writing for somebody in Yahoo News just pick it, picked it up, which is 
Oh, it's a Reuters story. Um, Philippine bong versus bong bong election drama builds. Duterte move is eyed. Philippine Senator Christopher Bongo runs for vice president. Philippine voters were bracing on Sunday for more drama in a presidential race that already features a bong versus bong bong matchup and a potential 11th hour challenge by President Rodrigo Duterte against his own daughter for the number two post. Now, he has since said he's going to run for Senate. The jockeying before Monday's registration deadline, that would be yesterday, bolters the view that the 2022 election will be dominated by powerful family dynasties rather than by reforms. Grant, did you read this article just before I asked you that question? Is that is that where you got your information? <laughs> what the no, hell? As I said, nothing changes. Um, nothing absolutely changes. nothing. Uh, it, um, the place has not exactly become Bermuda over the last three decades. <laughs> so did you, and the, the analogy you, you drew was, pigs to a trough and if you get your snout in early is that did i hear that correctly oh you did yes i once saw pigs eating at a trough and it made a a lasting impression on me (laughs) what um so how did um so but there is a chance for us um there is a chance for us i mean if we would offer the pig something right to because to me that is the strategic piece that the americans really can play in the south china sea is you know create a bilateral agreement with the philippines and send our business to the philippines why not it's in our strategic interest uh why wouldn't we load up that i don't know exactly what you put in a trough if you make want to make it sweeter filet mignon why won't we dump some filet mignon into the trough of the pigs no, it's spoiled sour cream and cottage cheese is what makes it sweeter. Uh, so I was told. I but didn't the, know. Uh, you know, you, you, know, you that, are from Virginia. You, you People from Virginia know shit like that. Well, we do. But, the, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, it's not as if all Filipinos are like that. It's this ruling elite uh, that is what I'm talking about. And then a lot of them, there's a, a number of them, though, that are actually very pro-American. And they don't like this uh, drift towards China, um, but they are ultimately equally corrupt as the as they all are. But that said, they are pro-American. But there's also a lot of you know there's a lot of Filipinos, and a lot of different opinions. And there are a lot who are do not like the communist China. Uh, there's a lot who don't mind it. But there's a, say there's a constituency that favors the United States. So to the extent that we stay involved and say offer them i'd say protection is something that that helps but also being around in enough numbers and size and presence to show that we we actually give two hoots and uh you know enough to be always there uh that has helped that would be a helpful thing for that uh, constituency that favors us now you want to give them something they can point to and say look without the americans the chinese would steal everything from us uh, and that's, uh, that's sort of how I would approach it rather than trying to load up on the spoiled cottage cheese into the trough because you know, they, um, you know, and then the things we could have done or should do that I think I'd mentioned earlier when Subic Bay went uh, bankrupt that you know, the Americans should have been right, and this was just a few years ago, should have jumped right in you know, with um, 
he's got some company and we'd make the guarantees to go out and say, we'll take it. We'll run the place honestly and you'll make money too. Uh, but it, we didn't really jump on it. Uh, I don't think the Chinese were able to get it, but the I think it was a Korean group that went in. Something the last I remember. But you can also stay engaged for those and uh, alert for those sort of strategic economic opportunities that that is the equivalent of uh, putting stuff into the trough because that, that there's a benefit to a lot of people if you do that and it's done legitimately rather than just throwing in billions to be stolen right away. The, um, yeah, again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I believe the number one, if you ranked the failures of the Trump administration, um, I would say number one is the failure to economically engage the nations of the South China Sea in a preferential manner to woo them to the United States and, and, and the free nations of the world whose GDP is four times out of China. I mean, that, and that's nothing to, you know, to look down your nose at. That's power, economic power. And if that's what is, if that is what these, if that's what these families are looking for, because I mean, they, it's kind of like Mexico, very, very powerful families, right, who run that nation almost since its inception. And not too much happens there without their assent. Well, if that's the way the game gets played, let's not be Pollyanna, right? Real politics says, play the game. Get in that game. Somehow or the craft something that's mutually beneficial and benefits them. And because that's your strategic interest is tied to that. And then, and then, I, I, I don't know. It just, it just, it seems ridiculous that the United States would not have been all over Subic Bay for a variety of reasons to make sure it stayed within our orbit. But again, it is a foot back into the nation that allows us influence to build on. And so, I don't, I don't understand not playing that game. Well, yeah, I don't either. We should be, but I think one of the the reasons is that if you have the State Department handles foreign affairs that they these guys if you're a diplomat you understand nothing about business uh, much less business at the strategic level or even even at the working level i'd say they especially have no experience these are people with you know international relations degrees so as a result the the economic part of a strategy tends to get very little attention and what attention does get uh, is not very effective depressing that that mm. I mean, how the world yeah. works one hundred and one is not a required you know course in in for people working in the State Department. God help you know, us. Yeah, it's just not part not what they look for when they hire. And in fact, it's funny the uh, State Department, uh, the diplomats or Foreign Service, is trying to take over something called the Foreign Commercial Service, uh, which is part of. Uh, I think Department of Commerce, actually, and they are assigned to embassies, and they actually handle the business stuff. And the State Department is trying to take that over and have State Department economic officers um, do the foreign commercial services work. And boy, if you want to destroy something really quick, that's the way to do it. And I haven't heard for a while where that uh, that uh, effort has gone, but if it does happen, we're, it's, we're even more... Um, uh, in an even more difficult position than we are. I want to ask you about um, Dr. Evil, right? 
none other than himself, Vladimir Putin. Um, the Russians blow up. Uh, first of all, there's troops massing on the Ukrainian border yet again. Um, they blew up something, some kind of like satellite space missile shot. They blew up something in outer space, which is like quintessentially Russian to do, right? doesn't matter how it impacts everybody else's shit up there. You know, they're going to do something. Um, so Vladimir Putin making noise. Now, there's a headline I saw this morning already that says um, that the uh, the Ukrainians shot down a Russian drone in the area of their border. So um, that's a little bit of an increase. Be careful crossing the street, Grant. The, uh, I am. <laughs> the... Um, What's Vladimir Putin up to? Is he just letting everybody know that, hey, I'm still here. Don't forget about me. I know I preside over an economy smaller than Canada's, but we do have nukes. So what is Vladimir Putin doing? Well, he's playing uh, playing his hand really well. Uh, you know, he's, act, you know, he's um, one, he's uh, threatening to go back into Ukraine and go farther this time. So to finish up what he thought he was going to do the first time. Uh, and then was the Ukrainians unexpectedly, uh, their defense stiffened before he could get all the way to Kiev. Uh, so he's probably, he just might have another go at Ukraine. Uh, you don't put 100,000 troops on the border and just have them sit. Uh, well, you might, but it's, uh, you can see there is a temptation to just have them go west and start going west. Uh, and, but he's also at the same time, he's got a, uh, sort of a stranglehold over Western Europe with gas supplies. Now the winter's coming, and he's threatening to cut those off. Uh, he's also engineered this so-called refugee off offensive uh, from White Russia, Belarus, uh, against Poland. So you put a bunch, he's flowing in a bunch of refugees, I think mostly Kurds from what I've read, uh, right up into um, White Belarus, and then move them to the Polish border and pushing them across into the EU, presenting the EU with a massive headache there, the Poles with a or the immediate headache. Uh, and, he's, and then you mentioned the, the uh, anti-satellite shot um, uh, put a lot of space junk out there that you know, people just might run into. That uh, it's really uh, you know just a chutzpah or just a really just brazen playing of his hand and almost daring somebody to do something about it. Uh, and, you know, we don't see this sort of thing very often, but it's, um, you know, if you watch some episode of The Sopranos, it might seem familiar to you. Uh, when you know, it's, So I don't know exactly what he's, where is this going to end up, but he's definitely uh, not just, he's poking people in the eyes at the same time as sort of punching them in the stomach. Uh, so it's a very interesting to see. You do wonder to what extent he and the Chinese and the Iranians have cooperated, at least at this, or coordinated, at least at the strategic level, you know, or in general terms. It wouldn't surprise me if they've um, talked about things. As they ratchet up pressure, I, you know, to me, w him behaving um, in the manner that his European detractors. Um, argue against things like the the gas pipeline and things like that uh increased trade with russia in, increased engagement with russia him behaving in exactly that manner seems to be counterproductive 
to his goal of seducing the European Union. Um, and especially in, in the post-Merkel age, where, 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 will Germany like wake up and say, you know, we really ought to follow Japan's... Um, Japan looks like Germany's militarization in the 30s compared to Germany today. Germany is this fat, freeloading slob on the European continent um, that parades around with wooden rifles and non-functioning military equipment. It's it's ridiculous. The fact that their ship could even sail to the South China Sea is amazing to me. Um, but I mean, that's what they are. And 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 Putin, you know, the the stories that are coming out of the the movement of refugees are it's like comedy. Oh yeah, they put mm-hmm. me on. They 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 gathered me in this city. They put me on a truck. They didn't feed me. And then they shoved me off here and told me to walk across the border. <laughs> I mean, it's comedy almost, but it's like quintessentially Russian, right? There is no frosting, right? It's like the little green men. Oh, those people? We don't know who they are. Yeah, but they're yeah. in Russian trucks with Russian weapons and Russian uniforms. Yeah, that might be, but I mean, you can clearly see there's no marking military markings. We have no idea who they are. Wagner Group? Yeah, not sure what you're talking about. So it's it's he's playing quintessentially to this to his detractor's role, and I don't know it just I, it just seems a bit weird to me. Um, I don't know what he's and and it, it, there doesn't seem to be any looming Russian problem that he's looking to solve. So I don't know I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I I'll have to think about it for next time. But yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> Uh, it's just such a impressive display of, I don't know if you call it aggression or bully. Oh, it's not really bullying. It's just, it's really just telling these people that you've manipulated and who've misjudged uh, you and have even offended you in the past, telling them, okay, what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, go ahead. Uh, and so it's uh, interesting is to see it play out. You know, but, you know, and that's the, the question. Okay, what are you going to do? You know, now that you've spent, you know, goodness, you know, 15 years just about uh, either appeasing Putin or just being completely befuddled by him or uh, you know, sometimes saying that, oh, you can do business with him like U.S. presidents have done and then other times saying he's evil personified. And, uh, you know, he's really got his opponents just uh, befuddled. And I don't think they have any idea really what to do about it, other than maybe send Secretary Blinken to express grave concern somewhere. Uh, and the Germans have even less. You know, they, it's you know, worth remembering, just as an example of how bad things got, is there was a German uh, uh, prime minister a Mer- and, uh, before Merkel, a guy named Gerhard Schroeder. Right. And Schroeder, the day after he res- left office, he went to work for this Russian pipeline company. <laughs> and that kind of smacks of, it doesn't seem quite right to me. It seems little, a little treasonous, but little, that was little his, bit. The, the day after he left office, that was his job, was working on behalf of the Russians. Uh, so it's really no surprise we're in the fix we're in now, or the Europeans are in particular, us less so from the Germans. The um, all right. What do you uh, what do you uh, what do you now? So you're out late. Are you in a, you know, 
the horn uh-huh. was cued by this question. Are you out? In, is, are you in an alley behind some go-go bar? Like, what are what are you doing? Well, kind of. I'm having to sort of step around the vomit. But the um, <laughs> no, I just couldn't get back to my place in time to get set up on the, the computer properly. So got it, got it, but got I, it. yeah, I, but, just that's all. Well, Nothing. It's, it's not a very handsome story at all. Wow, well, it's disappointing. The um, uh, what are you writing next? Oh boy! I think something about uh, the, you know, what my thrust might be, or the salient point might be that um, <laughs> when uh, uh, that everybody's looking at Taiwan and what China might do there, but I say that while we're looking at that, I think it's also and China does have a, a huge advantage for a fight just over Taiwan. But I'm going to look at their sort of their global vulnerabilities you know, all this stuff they've got overseas and just how vulnerable that is and how that uh, is a consideration when the Chinese are acting up. So that's maybe the thing I'm going to try to take on in a thousand words. Is it hard to express a complete thought in a thousand words? For me, as long as I use like four commas <laughs> that I can manage it, but uh, it can be. It, uh, you know, because I tend to keep running on, but so the challenges to pare it down to a thousand words but and that's usually as much as anybody should want to read so um, you know it takes some effort but it's doable is there some is there um is there organizations that uh continually push you to um to write in smaller and smaller bite sizes because the attention span of um, I got into uh, I got into an argument with my son yesterday because he blames me for everything, right? Uh, my number uh-huh. two, my number two son, Patrick. He blames me for the fact that he 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 has a signature that looks like a six year old. Okay, and I told him I said I have a nice signature. You you know if you look at my social security card, which I got when I was seventeen, I said it, mine looks like yours kind of. And you know what I did? I sat down and I practiced it because my dad had a great one and I copied my dad's. And I, huh. me, I said, in terms of my reading, okay, when I was a kid, I read. Nobody booted me in my ass to read, okay? I just was not a kid like you are that was mesmerized by shiny objects in the World Wrestling Federation. And, um, and so, he, but there is this, call it the dumbing down of America, um, where our attention spans are shorter, where uh, we don't uh, we don't read things of substance more. It's got to be like uh, USA Today, McPaper, mm-hmm. right? Um, is there much pressure in your business to, to write smaller and more digestible to, the, uh, to, to those among us that are not... Uh, I don't want to even say intellectually bent because that sounds so snobbish, but that that won't spend more than 30 seconds on a little blurb that comes out of Facebook. Uh, yeah, there is. I don't feel it because I write, you know, just I'm sort of a certain type of writer. But if you're like a regular correspondent, I think you're really uh, tight on on words. And that is the reason because they've done the assessments that people just only read so much. Uh, and like you would, like you were, were talking about, used to be that a, like there used to be long articles, and you read long articles. But we just get used to 
short things, and I, maybe there's a PowerPoint sort of excuse for this with the bullet points, uh, but it used to be people read, and it's changed. So, but I, you know, I've been told in the past to write shorter things, but then I just can't help myself, and I still get published or printed. So, um, you know, but it just means maybe nobody reads beyond the first 600 words. Uh, but it is a, so, you know, things have changed. You know, I suppose you could possibly make it so people, if you gradually lengthen the articles, you might train people back the other way. Got it. Um, I, somebody sent me an email during the week and said, Mac, I would be curious in terms of keeping abreast of news in the South China Sea in the region, where would Grant tell us to go? Um, where would you tell us to go? I, you know, I peruse, um, Reuters, if you type in China or South China Sea, they'll, you'll, it'll send you to a page that kind of uh, mm-hmm. gathers those kind of stories. Uh, you could do the same thing with the Associated Press. Uh, the South China Morning Post, I take a look at. Where else would you send us, Grant, in terms of websites well, those, for news? Those are all good, good places you know, for keeping up on it. The uh, Asia Times has good articles fairly often on the South China Sea. They've got a couple good uh, Filipinos who write, a Filipino gentlemen who write on it are very good. Uh, those would be good. Um, you know what you, and that would really cover the cover the waterfront. Uh, and you know, if you're just interested, sometimes the um, uh, reports get put out by CSIS, the parts of it that aren't on the Chinese payroll, at least. And they have something called the they called AMTI, which is excellent on South China Sea stuff, and they've some very good. Uh, reports they've done that are um, have a lot of pictures and charts, etc. And I, I do recommend looking at AMTI uh, as well. It's I believe it's part of CSIS, and that's very good. So some of the Washington think tanks, um, but um, would would be a good addition if you want some background to really understand the geography and what's where. Um, but the ones you've mentioned, those are the things that I would look at and see the things that that they put out. Um, as I said, Asia Times is also worth. Uh, worth a look yeah it's interesting headlines from asia times biden g chat cheers markets but risks still abound uh marcos in the poll position to win the philippine presidency biden g agreed to disagree on taiwan biden talk may bring broad economic deal Uh, another interesting story biden's china policy still hard to pin down so that's a little sampling of uh of Asia Times, you know. Again, I, I in closing, Taiwan has made you know through COVID um, and some other issues. Taiwan it has like gotten off the mat like nobody um, in recent times. It was forbidden to even speak mm-hmm. of, of Taiwan, and now you know you have you know, European nations, you know, visiting Taiwan with political delegations and and whatnot. So, I mean, the Taiwan metamorphosis has been absolutely stunning in public here the last uh, 24, 36 months. Yeah, it is. It has. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. You know, it's, um, you know, we'll see. But you're right. That's uh, very different than it was. Uh, when people actually, officialdom actually, in academia wanted to ignore it, kind of hoping it would go away uh, and resolve this supposed irritant in the U.S.-China relationship. Uh, but it, it's very different, uh, just as you've described. All right, Grant. 
Well, stay safe in your alley, and uh, mm-hmm. thank you very much for joining us, and uh, and we'll talk to you hopefully next week. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot. There you go. That'll do it on a Tuesday after a long weekend. Still basking in the glow of the 49er incredible victory. Yeah, as a fan, as I said earlier, I was expecting, and I hate the Rams, man. Since I was a kid, yeah, since I was like five years old, I've hated the Rams because they used to pummel the 49ers. And that's what I expected last night. And it did not happen. So, thank God. Thank God. Um, I'll post Grant's latest article in with this so you can read that. When America talks, China doesn't listen. So um, my thanks to Grant for coming on, as always. Always interesting. And yeah, I don't know what the great do out of the Biden-Xi summit was. The, The fact that they simply spoke. Hmm, that's a relatively low bar, eh? Yeah, you notice I threw in that A for all you Canadians out there? I'm like that. So, have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If I can help you help somebody, do not hesitate. I'd be more than happy to. So, yeah, tomorrow, I think what I'm going to do is walk through the demographics of the Marine Corps in light of the Commandant's interview with NPR. What exactly is he talking about? Right? And as I said earlier, you know, to the the producers at NPR, there was a pretty interesting interview that you could have had if you would have done a little bit of research into the Marine Corps. Okay. So, so we'll take a look at that. So on this Tuesday, have a great day. And with that, I'm out.